On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Genesis Invisible Touch. Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Colby Dransfield, Tom Corcoran, and Ken Gregory as we are deep into the Genesis catalog covering Invisible Touch. What's up, gentlemen? Good to see you. Good to see you guys. Tom, you've been busy, man. Colby, haven't seen you in a while. This is a, this is a fun episode of, of The Palaver. Very, very excited you guys could join us. Oh, Ken, so I feel like I speak to you every other day at this point. I'm a fixture. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get rid which, of me. Which, which one of you is the unlucky one? Well, that's <laughs> that's really the question, isn't it? <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah. Um, you know, here we are. Right at the right at the end of the of the Genesis catalog, and this is where you know I think you know we we start to have some some difference of opinions, should we say? And so I'm very glad that uh, that Colby and Tom, you are able to to join us to provide your specific perspective on on this most interesting of albums. I know Ken has been sort of chomping at the bit for this episode for some time. Um, Paul was, was I think, chomping at the opposite side of the bit, and Tom may be on that side as well. Um, Paul's unable to join us, but we do have some notes from him tonight, which we will, uh, we will add in as we, as we get to the appropriate section of the conversation. But, uh, yeah, so this is... This is 1986. This is this is the peak of Genesis, I think, at their commercial appeal. This is, you know, the the golden age of MTV and and sold out stadium shows and all this other wonderful stuff. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Ken, maybe you'd like to start us off with a little little prog perspective of 1986. Yeah, I'm calling this peak palaver. Uh, we would have been 14, 15, 16. We would have had uh, money in our pockets from mowing lawns or whatever it was that we did with lemonade and whatnot. And uh, we, we, we put that into uh, cassette tapes like mad, not knowing that uh, the cassette tapes would uh, sound horrible years later. But um, <laughs> If they didn't melt in the car. <laughs> if they did. <laughs> get grind, yeah, yeah, and the little rubber stoppers and everything. So... Um, we, we, we've got uh, Mike and the Mechanics, Face Value, Tony Banks did soundtracks. Everybody goes their own way, and they're just loving life, making this great music. I have no idea, you know, how Mike Rutherford got both Paul Carrick and, and Paul Young, you know, together. You know, he's he's just wheeling and dealing, but he's such a nice guy. We know he's capable of pulling that off. Um a year before Invisible Touch, 
Um, the rock world is, or the prog rock world is hot and heavy with Marillion's misplaced childhood. Asia did Astra. Rush did Power Windows. Um, then getting across the dateline into 1986, uh, ELO Balance of Power, Peter Gabriel So, then Genesis, Invisible Touch, June 9, 1986. So when was So released? Uh, May 19. So they're, they're contemporaries. They so, were wow, neck they, and neck. They were released within two weeks of each other. And I seem to recall that, I mean, so exploded almost to the same magnitude of Invisible Touch. So you had basically, you know, Genesis just pummeling you on MTV, certainly. Mm -hmm. So, Ken, you had mentioned... Asia's Astra, you had mentioned um, Rush Power Windows. This is, what, a year before Big Generator comes out. So we're, we're between 90125 and, and Big Generator. And hmm. I want to look up something here very quickly that should be interesting as well. Can I just say that a month after this, Rage for Order comes out. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And I love the guys, fact None of you guys probably still have listened to the newest Queensryche album, have you? I have not. Have I not. did. I'm, I'm I busy. Did. I'm busy playing, Todd Latore, he's nice, man. He's got, he's got some pipes. So we've got, we've, we've got Misplaced Childhood. We've got Rage for Order on the one side then we have the the power windows the the astras the big generators coming up and i looked up um jethro tull released crest of a knave in 1987 as well and i want to sort of i, I want to, to keep that in perspective it a lot of times when we talk about this context section we we you know it, some things are either extremely self-evident or whatever the case may be. But Colby, you brought up in the text um, when you sort of got on board with this and, and you said something along the lines of, um, I'm not sure this is a prog album. I stand by that. Well, mm. I, and, and I say that, I, I, I was thinking about that ever since you, you put that, that mm. out there. And I've been thinking about this context and I'm going to make an a potentially inflammatory statement. And I'm going to qualify that statement. I'm going to say that this album is, in fact, quote-unquote, prog, in the sense that this is what all of the well-established prog groups were doing in 1986 and 1987. Is it prog in the absolute definite sense? Probably not. But you've got all these big names in, in progressive music all at the same time, all putting out surprisingly similar types of music. They've all gone short form. They've all gone electronic drums and tiny guitars and, and more straightforward arrangements. I just, you know, I, it doesn't mean anything. I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, mm -hmm. if you're referring to Power Windows... Those are not simple arrangements. Are you talking about? Were you talking about? I I know you're. It's it's not twenty one twelve, Tom. Uh, well, 
Well, no, it's a lot of uh, it's, it's some complex stuff there. I just to be the devil's advocate. I mean, I know you're talking about big generator and I don't want to do five. I would definitely agree with you on that. But uh, I think, uh, well, uh, power, power windows is a different animal. But anyway. Oh, come on. Big money is no more heady, deep, proggy than anything on Invisible Touch. Oh, my God. Well, I definitely. (laughs) Just that baseline alone. I mean, come on. I mean, there's all that's. There's some, there's some major depth to that album, so but I mean we might be splitting hairs, but, but I my, I don't my, my point is they were Genesis Genesis were doing what all of their contemporaries were doing. There was it seems to me that there might have been some other weird and maybe not so weird force at work here on the greater music industry that manifested itself in the albums in this era. Because even by 1992, you see the the prog band start to pull sort of in a different direction. But you know, maybe it maybe it has something. I I don't know what it, it was. Actually, I we may get there later on. But it, I just find it funny that all of these bands are putting out these these albums that are not entirely dissimilar now. The one thing that I think is a little bit perhaps different with this, and we talked about it a lot in the last episode, certainly when you talk about some of the, the lack of, of complexity maybe here specifically, it, that may be rooted in the writing style that Genesis had adopted by this point. Um, these guys went into the studio with nothing, and they just sat down and literally wanked around for a while and ran tape and found pieces that they liked and put it together. And I don't know if you guys have watched any of the documentaries on either this one or the making of Genesis. Uh, You know, when you hear some of what they've done now, it's amazing that anything got done. Now, Phil has, has qualified that a lot of the really creative stuff wasn't recorded because when cameras were running, they kind of clammed up. But it's still, you do get some insight into perhaps how they were writing music at this time. And, you know, I I don't know. I just, it, it doesn't really mean anything, and I don't really want to get into a, a huge um, sidebar discussion about, you know, what is Prague. I just, I found it to be interesting when I started contemplating off of, of Colby's comment. I think we just need some catchy word for middle of the road Prague for the, the including rush, including this, this phase of Genesis oriented bands and solo projects, just kind of like a catchphrase to be yeah. like milk toast Prague. <laughs> we need a catchphrase, a, a catchphrase, like, you know, the keyboard era, the yeah. keyboard, the keyboard era. Exactly. We need a That's- meme. That's so funny you said milk toast, Ken, because I kept hearing that word in my head repeatedly while I was listening to this album. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. So let's Sorry. let's talk about the particulars of this album, and then we can get in and start to dissect it like we do. Oh, Colby, you're doing a fantastic job of filling in for Paul. That's what I'm here for. So, Invisible Touch, released, as Ken said, in June of 1986, produced by Genesis and our friend Hugh Padgham, Released on the labels Charisma slash Virgin or Atlantic. Band lineup, 
Tony Banks on keyboards, synth, bass, and uh, whatever else. Mike Rutherford on guitars and bass guitar. Phil Collins on drum, percussion, and lead vocals. Track listing, Invisible Touch. Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. Land of Confusion. In Too Deep. Anything She Does. Domino, consisting of Part 1, In the Glow of the Night, and Part 2, The Last Domino. Throwing It All Away and finishing up with The Brazilian. Invisible Touch is the 13th studio album by the English rock band Genesis, released on uh, 6 June 1986 by Atlantic Records in the United States, and 9 June 1986 by Charisma and Virgin Records in the United Kingdom. After taking a break in group activity for each member to continue their solo projects in 1984, the band reconvened in October 1985 to write and record Invisible Touch with engineer and producer Hugh Padgham. As with their previous album, it was written entirely through group improvisation and no material developed prior to recording was used. Invisible Touch was a worldwide success and reached number one on the UK Albums Chart and number three on the US Billboard 200. It remains the band's highest selling album after it was certified multi-platinum for over 1.2 million copies sold in the UK and 6 million sold in the US. Genesis became the first band and foreign act to have five top five singles in the US Billboard Hot 100, with Invisible Touch being their first and only song to reach number one on the charts. Bam. The album received mixed reviews upon its release and retrospectively, with several re reviews, both positive and negative, observing its similarity to Collins's solo records and their commercial pop-oriented sound. In 2007, the album was re-released with new stereo and 5.1 surround mixes. So let's let's just stop for a second and ogle over some of those statistics. Mm -hmm. 1.2 million copies in the UK. Mm -hmm. That's enormous. And 6 million in the US. 6 yeah. million in the US. Five mm -hmm. singles on charting. That's just crazy. And an album cover that made no fucking sense whatsoever. Talk about talk <laughs> about phoning in the album cover. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> I, I what 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 is this? I don't even know. There's a there's a bit. I don't know if you guys have seen. And Tom, I think you have based on on what you comments you have made. But there's a there's a documentary that accompanies their 2007 reunion tour. And mm. it's it's mainly I I it it kind of goes through them coming up with the idea, them, you know, getting together with Daryl and Chester and them rehearsing and and trying to put the stage show together and and the whole nine yards. And there there's a section where they had, you know, obviously the the huge high def screen, you know, behind them and, and everything else. And there was this one section where they're talking to, I guess, one of the production designers. And, and the long story short, which is too late, this guy had a, 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 an animation of a running man. And it was like an anamorphic man. It was like, you know, completely nondescript and all this, you know, some, someone somewhere, you know, made a, made this, this, video right of just this figure running which in 2007 was probably like balls out huge deal 
but it was it was completely unattached to anything else and and the guys like trying to sell it to the band like well we got this guy who's running so that's kind of cool where can we put that and they kind of shoved it in um in the cage and it just it wasn't it wasn't created based on the music of in the cage it was just some graphic that they had lying around that they just kind of threw into the stage show and i that's sort of the feeling i get with this this album cover because hmm. I, it's got nothing to do with anything i mean the the closest you get is you know the the title being invisible touch and then there's a hand there so hands touch okay cool but if it's invisible why can i see it i mean i'm i'm going to go on on a <laughs> I don't know if Genesis really has the best album covers. I mean, if you if you look back, I mean, they all hated Foxtrot. I mean, I, I I've seen stuff where they just rail on that. <laughs> uh, I mean, Wind and Withering is is nothing. It's like a black and white tree. I love uh, Wind and Withering actually. It's well, I mean, it's, it's got it's the it's same color. Out. It's got the same color palette as Relayer, which makes no sense. I just love it. I'm not <laughs> saying it's good. I'm just saying I love it. Okay. Um, well, I mean, there, there, there's. Uh, there's just uh, yeah. there's a lot of albums that just are like, okay, this is an afterthought. Um, and even the Genesis album, there's some cool graphics, but what does that even mean? I would say that Genesis, of all the bands that we talk about, probably, as great as they are, um, have not come up with the greatest album covers. Uh, it's just maybe not their strength. Um, when they're we're talking about uh, as great concepts as they have with with different things, they they have a hard time putting it in a in a in a, in a graphic. Yeah. So to me, Invisible Touch is just like another one of their just weird things that they do, and I didn't really even think much of it. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, it you know none of these and you know yes is fortunate in having Roger Dean and. You know, Roger Dean, well, Asia as well, Roger Dean evokes emotions from me. Roger Dean evoke, evokes reactions from me. I don't know that there's been a Genesis album where I'm like, oh, that's cool. Even the, even the Pink Floyd album covers, I think, for the most part, you know, the, the important ones will, will generate some sort of reaction. So, yeah, I, I agree. But, you know, I... I don't know. It, uh, does it really matter? Probably not. Well, because the damn I, I, thing sold gaz a gazillion records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's interesting how they credit it uh, under production, uh, assorted images, CD artwork production, Baker, Dave, CD artwork production. Um, but did we have CDs in 1986? I'm confused. I couldn't afford them if we did have them. We absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think they were. I, I don't know. They were prevalent. I actually have Invisible Touch is the last Genesis album I have on vinyl, obviously. Um, and I've, I've, you know, that's one of the the vinyls I've been carrying around with me for however many odd years at this point. So that I was, think this. Oh, I I haven't heard vinyl, but I just think this sounds fantastic. The levels are fantastic. The clarity is fantastic. The amount of ambience is fantastic. I'm 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 in awe. I'm I'm sure the vinyl sounds wonderful, and whatever production ills they had in years prior to this, 
including the the dodo assault on my ears and all the, <laughs> the bullshit Oberheim, Emu, whatever it is, Tony and his crappy sounds. There's like none of that here. Everything sounds like it's tuned appropriately and balanced appropriately, compressed appropriately. I love the sound of this album. So, so Rutherford makes a comment in one of the interviews where he talks about, I guess at the time they were doing these interviews, well, because it was for that, they were doing all of the Nick Davis remixes. And he, he says, you know, we've been doing all these remixes with Nick Davis, and he's like, you get to those Hugh Padgham albums, and they sound really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Hugh, Hugh may have gone a little crazy, um, with the gated snare from time to time, but you know, I think that was a, a relatively small sin. Um, and uh, while we're talking about general sound, another thing that we haven't talked about with Genesis, and it's come up in at least you know our two big um, prog segments, namely Rush and Yes. And it may be a it may be a sin that Phil commits on his own albums. I, I honestly haven't listened to them recently enough to know. But we haven't complained about too many Phils, right? Because we had too many Johns, oh. we had too many Gettys, we had all these massive gang vocals with one voice. And Peter's always singing falsetto beside himself. Yeah. Yeah. So the the one thing that Genesis didn't do in that seems to be common in this time frame is overdoing the backing vocals. So I, I want to give him props for that. Okay. What we do, what we do have is too many tonight's. <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny. I oh, love I love how people get all bent out of shape over over tonight, tonight, tonight. That cracks me up. I absolutely love it. <laughs> well, we'll talk. Oh, are, we, are we talking about the uh, songs now? Well, well, well I, yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> if there's anything sort of general that uh, you guys would like to say, I've got I've got a couple uh, of notes from Paul that we can we can read into the record here. Yeah, sure. So Paul says, "Invisible touch." Dot dot dot. The big generator of Genesis. Indeed, I loved all of these songs back in the day, except everything she does. That song has always been shit. Not so much now. So, <laughs> uh. so you know, we we kind of came up with this big generator of of yes. Um, joke on the on the text because Tom, you had pointed out that the the album Genesis was the nine hundred one two five of Genesis, and in, in terms of I believe if I understand your context correctly, balancing out sort of this newfound energy with a commercial bent while still maintaining a, a dare I say fundamental integrity. Well put. So, and, and then I took that a step further saying, well, then if Genesis is 90125, then clearly Invisible Touch must be Big Generator. And, and while my tongue was, was in my cheek when I said that or typed it, it wasn't firmly because I, I think some of the, the parallels are very, very obvious um, between the two. But, and, and Ken and I were talking before we got everyone hooked up here. 
I, I just want to go on record up front as saying that while I am willing to freely admit most, if not all, of the criticisms against this record, I unapologetically love it. <laughs> much, much, much the way I feel about Big Generator. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, sure, maybe, maybe he says he sings tonight too many times. Um, maybe anything she does is goofy and unnecessary, but I love it all. And I've been listening to this album nonstop since we finished the last episode, and I'm not even tired of it. Wow, that's uh, that's an impressive testimonial. I mean, if you if you keep okay. listening to something, it's that's what it's all about. I don't know how big generator became an adjective meaning crapola. <laughs> if not for big generator, our high school band would have sounded a lot different because Paul incorporated a lot of that into the band, and it was a fantastic, positive vibe with a lot of energy. And I'm, 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 I'm wow, you guys are putting a lot on my shoulders. But I am the assigned defense attorney, not only for Invisible Touch, but for Big Generator. And I, <laughs> I don't take this lightly. It's my I, civic I, duty. <laughs> and, and, yes. you know, just to, just to clarify, Ken, the, the way I described my feelings about Invisible Touch, I feel exactly the same way about Big Generator. I absolutely love it. I appreciate that some people may not, but I absolutely love it for the reasons you mentioned. So, so Colby, you've been, you've, you, you were kind of eager to, to jump in here and, uh, well, you know, you, eager. <laughs> well, you, you seem pretty eager. You know what it was? It was an opportunity to, you know, get back in the mix on something I'm actually semi familiar with. But when I started listening to it again, I realized just how unfamiliar I was with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I remember this, but I don't really remember it. So, but no, yeah, um, all very interesting points. Um, for me, the big thing I found listening to this was trying not to conflate nostalgia with what I was actually listening to now, you know? Yeah. Having grown up with this, you know, in this era with MTV, these songs. I mean, I remember the Land of Confusion video being on constantly. Um, so there's a lot of nostalgia there, particularly with that, uh, you know, that era. But yeah, so in listening to this, you know, I, I found it, I think Jay said it in one of the texts about one of the other Genesis albums that it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot like work to listen to it at times. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I have some comments on a few of the songs. Uh, overall, I, you know, this to me, it's a Phil Collins album is really what I hear in a lot of the songs on here, that it's really, you know, kind of what he brought to his solo albums in the early 80s and the mid 80s. Um, I don't know. That's kind of what I heard for the most part, the exception being maybe the Domino and, and the Brazilian are kind of a little more maybe what you'd say progressive, um, my perspective. So, yeah, no, I yeah. I get that. Yeah, I mean, this album, uh, to me, almost personifies w why I've had such a hard time getting into Genesis early on, like in you know my you know, high school days. It's because an album like this sort of scared me away because of its sort of poppy sensibilities and some of the earlier stuff. You know, I wasn't ready for, you know, I was 
it was beyond what I was ready for at the time. <laughs> so I, um, I love the Genesis album. That's the one album that I, I, I bought and I, 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 I listened to a lot. But there was just this, um, this fight between uh, the the early stuff and and really this album, Invisible Touch, because it just at at the time it, it just was really too poppy for me. Uh, now I can listen to it now and appreciate things in it. Um, and, you know, we'll certainly talk about, you know, the songs, but I mean, I definitely appreciate the rhythms in a, in a song like tonight, 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 the, the chorus always drove me crazy. I, I, I just, I cannot stand this chorus, but there's a lot in this song. Um, when, when you really listen to it, namely, uh, the keyboards and even like the the, 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 the programming uh, and there's just some some really interesting rhythms that go on underneath this huge poppy umbrella and it almost is you kind of are you you start thinking about Peter Gabriel influence I mean they're one big family right but still you when when you uh, listen to some of these songs you um, who can really tell that they were in a, they were in the same band together for, for a while. There's definitely um, all sort of rhythms and even anti-rhythms going on to sort of create something interesting. Um, so I, I think I, that's why I, I've always sort of respected this album. Uh, Land of Confusion, I've, I've always loved. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a great song all around. We'll, we'll talk more about that, I guess. But... Um, it, it is, it, it has been, and still is, very difficult to get around a lot of these songs because, as Colby mentioned, um, I would say about half of this album is is really a Phil Collins uh, Phil, Phil Collins album, uh, just with a little bit more underbelly <laughs> to it, uh, just a, a, a little bit more substance. So, um, it, it, it it's always been. A difficult album for me to uh, to to stomach. When back in the day in high school in, in, in 1986, everyone's wearing their Invisible Touch T-shirts, and everyone was at the concert. It just even the people that were going to the concerts uh, were just people that I normally wouldn't really hang around. <laughs> they were like, I mean, not not you guys, of course. I mean, obviously, I was hanging around you guys, but it was like all the the the, the preppy kids would go see. Oh, you're gonna see the Genesis concert, and they all had their Genesis shirts, and it was like the safe place to go. Like Genesis was like, okay, you don't really need to make a statement about who you are as a 15 year old, 16 year old kid. You're not a metalhead. You're not a punk rocker. You're not the rap. It was just okay. Genesis is like the safe zone. Nope, and no. That's kind of what, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what I got out of. <laughs> oh, Tom, did you did, did did you buy Theater of Pain? I have to know here because you know if if Tonight Tonight scared you away from Invisible Touch, did Home Sweet Home scare you away from Theater of Pain? Um, you know, I did buy Theater of Pain. All right, all right. Now and, we're getting you know, somewhere. Hell, I bought Shout the Devil three times. So <laughs> <laughs> that you know, compared to Shout the Devil, only buying it once is a, you know a bargain, right? Um, 
Okay, so but, it's fine yeah. for Motley Crue to suck up to MTV, but it's not cool for Genesis to suck up to MTV and 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 the, the big Listen, crowds. And- I'm talking to you from a mind of a, a 16 year old, like where I was coming. From. <laughs> okay, I, okay. I, I guess I still haven't grown up because I I'm probably still think this way. But at, at the time, it, it just um, I didn't appreciate really the genius of of Genesis at the time because of the pop sensibilities of Phil Collins. And you can, I can respect Phil Collins for being successful. And I think we all can, but there's just a, some of these things are very difficult for me um, in, in this era. And, and Phil Collins definitely um, does the proverbial downward spiral around this era, era uh, during this era. So I mean, I have, um, and, and that being said, I, I definitely want to talk about Land of Confusion, the video, because I agree with everyone. I mean, this was the best video, and it was in the top five videos of 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 the decade. And they actually did something with the medium, rather than just standing around trying to look cool and doing the poses and doing what everyone was doing. Um, they actually did something and I, you know, I, I definitely want to talk more about that, but so there was always a respect there. Uh, but this is a, this is a difficult album for me. When you consider that we were, you know, we were growing up, we were, we were sort of starting to form our own thoughts and identities and, and you have this coming on the heels of no jacket required. It, it could seem a little overwhelming. Um, it could color maybe your your perception of of this album and and genesis and yeah it I, it's funny tom when you mentioned that you know at that point in our lives we weren't ready for old genesis i mean you can't we, we can do it now because we're we're trained professionals but certainly as as you know semi adolescents it it's not safe to go from invisible touch to foxtrot in one big leap it's just you know <laughs> Right. Yeah, you have to kind of take steps to get there. It's like sure. it's like uh, depressurizing when you're when you're coming up from the bottom of the ocean. Absolutely. Shall we go through the, the song? Let's do it. So, <laughs> invisible touch. Let's let's start off now. Paul had a very very funny funny observation on the last episode when we were talking about. I was talking about listening to this in the car and, and I'm, I'm a crotchety old man. So I actually still have physical media. So I, I'm listening in the CD and, and Genesis would end with, um, it's going to get better. And then it would loop right back around into mama. And I made the comment that actually the way that it's going to get better ends it, it lends very nicely into that loop back into the start of the album. And Paul made the very funny comment that, um, going from the end of "It's going to get better" right into "Invisible Touch" was not a very pleasant transition. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was listening on Spotify, and it goes right from one album to the next. That's funny. Um, so he says, um, "Invisible Touch." This is this is Paul's notes here. I like I like what the title track is about, but the song is just cheesy. Although Mike's guitars sound wonderful, so. We have that, and I'm glad he said that because I was actually thinking that about 
about uh, maybe not so much the guitars, but this was maybe one of the uh, the moments on this record where, and, and we've talked about this before, Mike Rutherford, the bass player, doesn't always present himself, but this was one area where I'm like, oh, you know, after I listened to the damn song like 25 times in the last week, it's like, oh, wait, hey, there's a bass line here. Look at that. <laughs> so that mm. was kind of fun. This could be the most uh, bass absent album. You're getting more of the, you know, the synth sounds and the bass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I could see leaving bass players hanging there, but eh. and it didn't have to be quite that way because you've got Tony Levin on. So, you know, a lot of people out there you could hire. <laughs> well, well I, I think though, and, and I, I think this all goes back to the way that they were recording or the way they were writing these songs. So for for Genesis, they had started making more use of the drum machines so that Phil could, you know, sort of improv singing. And my guess is, and I'm just guessing, I haven't seen this, I don't know. My guess is um, Tony would start sequencing a, a, a synth bass line just so that Mike could play guitar while they were doing. And, you know, certain, I haven't heard it with, with the bass lines, but certainly I have heard the quote with regard to the, to the, the drum machines that certain songs, they just kind of grew accustomed to that track being there and they yep. didn't want to remove it altogether. So I, I yep. wonder if that's not part of what we're seeing here as well. I, I'm just guessing. Yeah, you got a, you got a sequence baseline. It, it fits in. And, and when they wrote the other parts, it was there. When they wrote the vocals, it was there. And why overcomplicate it? I'm down. And again, I understand why this song would grate on people's nerves. I just, it doesn't really bother me. I, I don't it I, really I, bother me. I mean, I, I, it, it's weird that you say that. And I, I can see where it would. Um, and it should bother me. Like, it's like, <laughs> I'm surprised I, I, it doesn't. I, but whenever it comes on the radio, I always listen to it, and I always sort of kind of enjoy it. It's like when your mom would make tuna casserole. You'd always go, oh, God, tuna casserole. But when you start eating, you're, you're like, yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, so it's <laughs> like, you know, invisible touch. You're... You know, everyone's playing their instruments, and there's it's a it's a driving song. It's it's so it it's sort of um it's it's not it's not horrible, but it's you know it's it just not. After you hear the other songs, <laughs> after this is when it really sort of grates on me. Uh, you just take it as a single. Okay, this is okay. Uh, Your Honor, my client does not want to be referred to as tuna casserole. <laughs> Can we strike that from the record, please? <laughs> God, you guys are working me. I got to defend these puppies. So um, this is this is peak Phil in the vocals. He, he's I love it that he's really kind of pushing the vocal forward without dying. You know, kind of w when John Anderson does this, it's oh sc John screaming at me. But I think I think at this point. Phil's kind of got the, I'm screaming at everyone, but I'm doing it in such a controlled way that it's comfortable and it's not jarring. So he, he's, he, he, he's really got his uh, something mysterious and, and all these lines come across 
very boldly and very confidently. He's doing it with control. And he wrote the lyrics for this. I love how, despite the album being credited to all three for composition, uh, we do have some evidence in the wikis about who did the lyrics and, 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 and Phil did the lyrics on this and he committed to it. And I, th- I thought he, he did a pretty good job. I, I do, so, I do like the lyrics. I like, you know, it, it's, it's clever and, you know, but not too clever. Yeah. Does it bother anyone that he adds a syllable and touch, touch, I mean, does, it, does it bother anybody? No, it never bothered me at all, actually. <laughs> Isabel touch what's a what's the touch what's I'm, touch a I, it's it's dramatic emphasis tom okay a flourish a flourish right. yes right. absolutely a flourish it's, more, right. it's almost a breath it's like a just uh, yeah I, like I, it. I i made a note of another place on this album and i unfortunately i've forgotten where it is maybe it'll come back to me but he yeah actually turns the word into three i think it's done is the word and i've got to remember where it was oh but really yeah, to that point um to your point tom yes i found that irritating in other spots on this album too yes excellent try to remember that that'll be good <laughs> so tonight 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 seems to this this is the song that seems to draw the most ire and consternation of people sort of disinclined to like this record. I personally, you know, I, and again, going back to my 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 uh, my admission, I get it. On on Duke we had Alone Tonight. What was the there was one on Abacab where we had the word tonight running around. There was something on Genesis and so now we have you know the word tonight coming at us nonstop. I've I've made the hypothesis that given the way that they write, I think Phil just likes to sing the word tonight. It it's easy and comfortable for him, and maybe he went too far. Uh, but I don't know that. Again, I I've actually always liked this song. Paul does, Paul does not. He says it has great atmosphere and a terrific middle part, but it's boring as hell and makes no sense. I can't really argue with that. It is kind of boring. It is perhaps longer than maybe it should be. But I I, I just want to wallow in it. Uh, tonight does flow better than the word afternoon. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> Deep thoughts, bro. Progressive thoughts. Well, all right. Well, we got a nine-minute song here, eight minutes and forty-nine seconds, and there are three or four interludes that get me every time. I I, I don't know if it was exposure on FM radio or just my vulnerability at, at that age. Maybe at Colby, as you point out nostalgia uh, separating the nostalgia from you know the the content but i love the way this is constructed i love the bridges i love the musical interlude and i think it's a great example of how to keep an audience interested for nine minutes without going into pure prog it truly keeps me listening 
Um, the uh, the verses and the choruses kind of speak to themselves, but I love this bridge. I got some money in my pocket about ready to burn. I don't remember where I got it. This is peak diction for Phil. He's known for really kind of blurring words together and kind of doing the little the the, the Brit blah and some of the, the early stuff and not really articulating the words, but he's getting a lot out here. It's, it, it's pretty clear. And he's, he's really grabbing me with the lyrics on this one. Um, you keep telling me I've got everything. You say, I've got everything I want. You keep telling me you're going to help me. You're going to help me, but you don't but now I'm in too deep. So he's got me. So I just can't sleep. We'll get me out of here. Okay. So th the ending of that section is trite, but I think the emotion is a highlight in the in the pop genesis catalog and and in the genesis catalog uh overall um they're going for it they're capturing the emotion and they they keep me um it's a fantastic song i'll leave it at that a fantastic song that's pretty bold ken it's bold it's that's fantastic a statement a fantastic song yeah uh, okay. don't don't you get chills when they go into that like the breakdown with just just the instruments. You know, I, I will say I like that part, but it's also because I'm just so sick of that chorus. I, I'm so happy <laughs> to hear something. You know, I don't totally hate this Anything. song. This song sort of like rides the line. It's like Tony Banks to me saves this song. I love the programming and the. The, the keyboard it's very involved it's 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 sort of like it's almost like this is like the pre nine inch nails kind of a thing that he's doing yes. in the back. it's not yes, it's, it's it's kind of yeah it's it's just it's interesting and it, it just gives it that that texture on the bottom um that that makes me go okay i'll keep listening to it but it's just so close to me because I mean, the chorus is 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 really offensive, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's interesting though. It, you know, it's uh, and it, it's in, you know what's interesting, how long this song is, and it was on the radio. Um, you know, of course, everyone's gonna talk. Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody was so long, and it was on the radio, yada yada yada. But um, it, it's very unlikely um, that a song is as long as. Tonight, 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 and um, you know is a is is a hit song. So uh, I I give it props for. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to call it progressive, but you know it, this is a progressive rock band, and it's a a, a longer song. So um, yeah, I, I certainly give them props for getting this on the radio. Yeah. Now I I have a discrepancy here because I've been listening to it on Amazon Prime, which lists the song length as four minutes twenty eight seconds. That would be your radio edit. Yeah, so I'm really frightened what the album version is. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just twice as yummy. <laughs> I counted 34 tonight in the in the song lyrics, so I'm assuming uh. that's the album version. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Yeah, to Tom's point, I, you know, this almost feels like they're going for you know kind of a quasi-industrial sound with the programming, which gives it. A, a little darker feel, which for me, I like. 
Um, you know, it's sort of like Phil Collins you know, in the air tonight or whatever that song's called. Same kind of thing. When he goes a little bit darker with with the sound, I find it a lot more appealing, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and, and they definitely do like to go dark and they are they have now become masters at creating that sort of that ambiance, that that sort of sinister, you know, feeling about, you know, your and, and it's interesting, you know, we talk about all of these all of these songs with tonight. But it, it's all part of the formula, if I want to say that, in that the sun goes down, the streets get dark, and bad things can happen to you, and you you wind up in situations that you don't want to be in. And it, it's never, it's rarely explicit in what that situation is, but you always know that it's bad and you don't want to be there. And <laughs> I just think it's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, this theme is apparently drug addiction, but uh, it, it, it was loose enough and it was um, uh, generalized enough that it just kind of applies to a lot of emotions. And yeah, it, uh, it, it, it's a uh, not quite uh, dystopian, not quite industrial, but touching those genres and, and, and drawing you in. I appreciate it. So that takes us into Land of Confusion. Paul says the middle section makes this song and the iconic video. I have the impression that everyone here lauds this song and thinks that it's the bee's knees. Crush us, Joe. Crush us. I, I know you're, you're waiting to say, but... <laughs> Tom, you know me well. It's, it's not... <laughs> it's, I... St- I am in extremely conflicted about this song because it's one of the intellectually I want to not like the song. There's something about it that I find sort of grating, repetitive and annoying. And yet, and yet I find myself listening to it all the time and singing along and having a great time. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this song. And, and uh, so it was this one repetitive, but not tonight, tonight, tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure, Tom. Go figure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Proceed. I, I you know, I, I, like I said, I don't necessarily understand what my problem is. And it was, I, I was, I was excited to see everyone getting all juiced up about this song. I'm like, good. Maybe they'll explain it to me. And like I said, it's not like, it's not like I ever don't listen to it. I, I always listen to it, and I always find myself enjoying it. But I feel like I shouldn't be. It's very strange. And well, wh- I, I will say that there's there's one part of the video that haunts me to this day. It takes a lot to spook me, but there's that one scene where the the Reagan head is running on the sort of weird Superman body that just freaks me out. Hmm. Okay, but not the Phil Collins puppet. No, the Phil Collins puppet's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. That freaks me out. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I I do love the glasses that they wear. I, I think you call that steampunk now. I don't know what, what yeah. would have called it back then, but they, they they have some fantastic adornments on these puppets. Um, we we, we progressed. The first two songs were Phil lyrics now we progressed into mic lyrics and if you just 
take the lyrics alone and just read them, it is very remarkable. You know, oh, Superman, where are you now when everything's gone wrong somehow? Men of steel, men of power are losing control by the hour. He is kind of, you know, I'm assuming these guys were very cognizant, like like all Europeans of World War II and, and, and what it took to, to rise from crap to a civil society. And they're kind of describing that whatever detente and, and civility was achieved is now falling to shit. So I, I do relate with that. And I do, uh, I, I commend Mike for penning these lyrics and sticking with the theme in the video. Well, I mean, I, I commend him for, I mean, I don't mean to uh, make light of the, of, of the song. It, it, it's a great song, but, just the fact that it's one of probably the only song on the album where Phil Collins isn't whining about a girl or like, <laughs> heart is lost love or, you know, it's like, Oh my God, come on. Uh, it, it's just, so, I mean, land of confusion has substance and I, I don't want to totally trash Phil Collins here because he's uh, a talented guy, but the album really um grates on me lyrically and it's because it just it seems like it's the same subject matter um the the girl you lost the girl you hadn't lost and and and, and things like that um and so land of confusion it's sort of like it gives you a little bit of rush because you're you have depth to to the song um and uh, that is much needed on on this album um but i mean overall i yes i do love the song i think it's a it's a it's it's a rocking song and um it's uh could be it's definitely in the top three for me of of this album wow so so rush is more of uh mythology escape storytelling maybe uh, commentary on society and yeah. less, less, less of, Oh, my broken heart. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm down. I have to agree that, you know, it's one of my favorites on here too. Uh, I think Tom hits it right on the head that it's just, you know, it's a, a welcome change to a lot of the pacing of some of the other pop, you know, the, the hits on this album. Um, and again, you know, it's iconic. It's, it's the eighties, you know, at its semi best, maybe I'm mixing up nostalgia with the song, <clears throat> but as far as this collection of stuff is concerned, yeah, you know, one of my favorites. How do we like the percussion on here? It, it, it's it, it's pretty um, brash, right? The 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 the, the snare sound kind of slaps around, and it's. It, yeah. I mean, it's a cool. It's a cool, edgy version of, of Genesis programming. Um, this is an example of when a group of people come together and things are right and there's a high energy, it comes across as being very heavy. And, you know, there's, there's just these even raw Billy Joel songs when he's playing live that just come across as very, very heavy to me, very like almost like hard rock, but 
even though it's not hard rock. Um, <laughs> Confusion is one of those songs. Uh, and if you compare it to the cover that Disturbed did years later, um, you realize even though this heavy metal band is doing this song, it's not really heavier because Genesis just had that energy. They had that raw energy and they put it together in a way that just lit everything up. And um, you can add distortion and you can scream and you can, you know, add, you know, thicker bass and, 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 and deeper drums, but you, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it's going to be heavier. And I think that this song has, um, as to me, always had like a hard rock feel without being, without having the hard rock elements in it. And I, I think that's because these guys just um, had that, the synergy of um, mm -hmm. just being together over the years. And there is an energy of the song that is um, mm -hmm. pretty, pretty impressive to me. Yeah, you don't need to marshal stacks and uh, uh, whatnot to, uh, to convey this. Right on. Um, I, I want to say that while I complimented the bridges in Tonight, 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 this one, I remember long ago when the sun was shining, when the stars were bright all through the night, and the sound of your laughter as I held you tight. Just, just musically, that hits all the right buttons when they get there with, 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 with tempo and, and, and chord changes. I think they've really started to master the bridges. I'm going to go step out on a limb here, and I'm going to guess that the the next song and perhaps the next two songs are probably not going to gain a very warm reception from from our friends Tom and Colby, as Colby's already shaking his head. Absolutely not. <laughs> so I, I will uh, I will open the floor to the prosecution, and then Ken, you can come in as the defense here. Um, and, and if you guys want to talk about in too deep and and anything she does together, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, it's it's just. To me, these two songs, um, I mean, I don't even mind anything she does that much. But, I mean, these are Phil Collins songs. They belong on his solo album. I mean, on, on these songs, you know, in Tonight, 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 you know, I talked about the, on the underbelly of the rhythms and things like that. I mean, these songs just are very stock, very generic. And, uh, you know, again, we all love Phil Collins and, and we appreciate him for you know, what he's contributed um, to, you know, the years of Genesis and his solo stuff. But, um, I mean, these are just stock generic songs in my book. I mean, I have really nothing to say about these songs other than I could forget about them in a heartbeat. <laughs> I have to agree. I actually find anything she does kind of annoying. Um, into Deep, uh, I tell you what, you know, as far as 80s, pop ballads go it's pretty damn good it, do i like it not that much <laughs> but you know it is what it is and it does its job well i think um what's interesting though is i'm looking at the wikipedia entry for the album and they go through the song highlights and i don't even i can't even find this listed <laughs> <laughs> no it's not it's like skip, they skip right from land of confusion to anything she does in the in the write-up of the song so that's kind of that kind of seems appropriate <laughs> I have nothing to say about In Too Deep. I'm not even going there. You, whatever you guys said, that, that yep, it's all true. Um, kind of 
that? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't want Ken representing me. <laughs> <laughs> What's a you? Um, so I really like anything she does. Um, but I take back what I said about Phil's perfect diction on this album. I don't know what this is all about. You know, you decorate the garage wall, hang in people's hearts, live in secret drawers. Okay, whatever. He's, he's getting metaphoric here. Um, you decorate the garage wall. I, I had no idea for years what he was saying. Uh, we didn't have internet access back then. Um, and I, I thought it was the garage wars. I thought this was historical. <laughs> <laughs> the garage walls. On, so um, so are, okay. are you disappointed when you see what the actual inspiration for the lyrics is? I don't know, but have you it looked, is one of these. But, but have you have you looked at the wiki on this? Anything um, she does is an IRL. It's an immoral rock lyric. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 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 the, so the garage wall is kind of like Tommy Two Tones Eight Six Seven Five well, Three O Nine. So I got it so the, according to the wikis, Banks gained inspiration for anything she does <coughs> from pictures of scantily clad women. The band would cut out and place on the wall of their recording studio classy love it oh yeah 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 that makes perfect sense yeah okay 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 all right all so right. so all basically right. you you have you have tony banks trying to come to grips with the fact that he's surrounded by pictures of scantily clad women <laughs> <laughs> oh, th th this is progress for tony because he was the whiniest of the whiny like he was the broken heart of the broken hearted this is a good segue to Tony writing the lyrics for Domino because Domino, you know, I guess the Domino theory was kind of political, but he's using it more in a relationship thing. And, and once, you know, do you know what you have done? Do you know what you've become? It's all very weird. So, so Tony's approach to relationships is very accusatory. It's not very present day relationship science. He kind of had it backwards back then. He's not really managing these relationships quite the way you should, if you want to be productive. He's just going to war right on. That's that's Tony's style. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's, you know, we we've talked before on the palaver that Tony Banks specifically will often be called out for the complexity of his lyrics. And I think when you talk about anything she does and and, and certainly the you know the um the, the line that you called out can I mean that's that's a very complicated way to talk about scantily clad pictures of scantily clad women on the walls contrast that with say how David Lee Roth would approach that subject matter <laughs> <laughs> where he, he would get right to it and everything would be okay I, I I made a I made the comment on the text the other day that I was listening to Def Leppard's hysteria on, on vinyl just for, for fun because I needed to break out of, of my, my prog world for a little bit. And what is it? Track number two on that is women. And I was just like, wow. I was asking myself, could Def Leppard release the song Women in 2019? My thinking was maybe not, 
but it's just Maybe. it's it's extraordinarily straightforward and right to the point that maybe in in some ways anything she does isn't so it's just you know it, it's, it's a decidedly genesis and tony banks approach to the subject matter which i find in some ways endearing yeah musically the um i love the pace and i can i can I, I I dig listening to this. I I I I could dance to this totally, and uh, no doubt it was in their live sets. So uh, I, I'm just going to give this a, a a thumbs up, and thank you, Joe, for for backing me up there with the wikis. I I, I find I I like what you said there, Ken, about the the tempo because it does kind of pick you up, and and I find this maybe it's just me, but I have sort of. I've come to grips with this song, and I almost need it as my appetizer to Domino. Because, you know, you know, you're 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 kind of up and you're down, and and you know, Invisible Touch is goofy and fast, and Tonight Tonight is spacey and and whatever. Land of Confusion is is heavy and aggressive, and In Too Deep is probably as milk toast as you're going to get. So then you get into to this, which, you know, almost it, it's it's close to being annoying with some of the synth sounds and, and everything else and some of the, the percussion sounds, but it, it doesn't quite get there. But it, it kind of sets you up for what you know is, is coming. And it's really weird, like the ending of this, you know, where where Phil kind of falls out and you get that one last little strum from Mike and you hear Phil go, ah! Which just, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, it's Genesis whimsy, right? But it's just the right amount of Genesis whimsy. And it, it, it's like taking a breath before you dive into the deep pool that is Domino. And I've, I have personally developed an almost need to have that sort of a breath before I go in. Like, mm. as much as I love Domino, I, I can't think really of any significant number of times where I've just thrown in the CD and gone right to Domino and get right into it. It's almost like right. I need to prepare myself at this point. And it, to me, it just makes it all the more delicious. Nice. Okay. All right. I'm up for Domino. I am up. Anybody down? I'm up. And, and Paul, Paul is also down. So Paul tells us that in his opinion, Domino is, and I quote, Masterful, amazing. I've heard Tony say it's about political leaders being unaware of the consequences of their decisions. I always thought it was about nuclear war in the aftermath. <laughs> <laughs> I find Domino to be just an excellent example of all that I love about Genesis. It has the atmosphere it has what I find to be compelling, if potentially confounding, lyrics in certain places. I think the, you know, it, it's again, it's one of those things where they, they clearly create an, an atmosphere. Um, and I, I, you know, to your earlier point, Ken, I absolutely love Phil's vocal delivery here. I think both parts of this are extremely, you know, engaging. And I love the way that Phil sings it. I I absolutely adore this song. He's very forward leaning. He's in it to win it. it. It's that vocal delivery that we've come to 
expect from Phil, and he's nailing it here. This is um, this is a a great song. I, in fact, I, this song, I love it, but it saddens me because I feel that um, this could have been the, the real sound of later era Genesis. Um, this is where the band could have gone. Um, there is some really that that combines their and this is the sounds of, of the eighties with um, different keyboard sounds and and whatnot. And um, there's a progressive nature to the song, and it, it it sounds it really sounds different than anything on this album. It sounds newer. It sounds like I hate this term, but like almost cutting edge. You're, you're, you're listening to something that you haven't heard before. And I really wish that, um, this could have been, uh, a direction that the band took, uh, more of, I mean, we're sort of at the end of the catalog here. So I, I, I wish, uh, if they had put out more stuff, um, they, they, they would have gone in this direction, at least for a while, um, but you know, instead they, uh, it was sort of Phil Collins heavy in, in, in certain era and, in, 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 in certain places. Um, I won't beat a dead horse with that, but I will say that this is a really, uh, great song in the sense that, um, when the things that we talk about that are, uh, progressive in, in progressive rock, it still has the elements in, in this song. And um, it's a it's a really uh, interesting sounding song that uh, I I wish we could have had more of. I can't hear that song without thinking of the Genesis Light Show. Uh, you could say that for the last four albums because they they you know pioneered their own light rig, uh, set the bar for live concerts. But this goes over so well with the full live setting and i suppose i i saw it twice uh, paul and i went to the spectrum and um then i think veteran stadium on this one and it it's it, it's proggy in the sense that it's long it's in sections and it tells a story and it's also just an amazing live experience yeah i think i think live this is you know sometimes you get songs that maybe don't translate well live um but from i i've the the videos the couple videos i've seen with with this you know even the band seems very energized by this and it comes across spectacularly i, I think it has every bit of of the power that the the studio recording has which says to me that there's just something about this song that is inherently awesome even with Clippy, the clip art running man coming through the, yeah. the, middle of the screen. <laughs> there are perfect segues here for bright light, low light, even in the glow of the, the night. <laughs> this is like tailor made for, for live. It's perfect. I don't know. Colby, does this, uh, does this one at least get you going somewhat, at least partway through when they start rocking? Honestly, I have to abstain from this one because I didn't get a chance to really absorb it. <laughs> all right, all right. You need to listen to the uh, 
the octave synth bass when they, when they really pump it up halfway through with the, the, the sheets of double glazing help to wait, what is it? The, um, uh, Oh, blood on the windows. M millions of ordinary people are there. They gaze at the scenery. They act as if it's perfectly clear. I think it's, it's dark enough for you, Colby. I, I think I, I will go back and study it after I listen to the new Queensryche album. There, there, there's a river of blood, Colby, so that's pretty dark. <laughs> we, we talk about checking the boxes. No, listening to this over the last couple of days, that was, I just sort of skipped around a bit because it was, you know, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I do, in, in all seriousness, though, I do think that, that Domino is, is worth a listen. Um, it, it's, I just think it's spectacular. I'll be curious to see if you agree after you listen to it. All right. Well, I have listened to it. I just don't have a sure. well articulated opinion. Maybe, about it. maybe you need to listen to it more. I well, do. Our, th this section, it's, it, it, it's, I mean, it seems like a dream, like, like someone writing down and journaling their dream, or it's Tony Banks trying to imagine what actual nuclear annihilation would be. Um, the, the, the children are swimming and playing with boats. Their features are changing. Their bodies dissolve, and I am alone. I can just feel like you're in the dream. You've got all this activity around you, and the people dissolve. And it, it always echoes with me when I get to that part. It makes me feel so weird when Phil sings it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. It, the the delivery there again it really conveys this sort of this spookiness right the, the the unnatural nature of what he's describing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they have a little bit of genesis whimsy in the next section it's it's uh, um, well now you never did see such a terrible thing as was seen last night on the TV. Maybe if we're lucky, they will show it again. Such a terrible thing to see. And that's exactly what Tony would say. You know what I mean? Like, like he, 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 he would not only have commentary on the event, but he would have commentary on the people who take vicarious pleasure or right. shiden in the event. You know, and it's, it's funny, Ken. I hadn't really thought of it, but when you just said that, I was, I was immediately drawn to, for lack of a better phrase, the 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 comic relief or maybe a better phrase would be the tension release relief of willow farm in supper's ready right gorgeous so yeah. Yeah, I, I i hadn't i hadn't made that connection until just now but when you said that i'm like oh it's just like willow farm well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then and then they get into the theme there's nothing you can do when you're next in line you've, you've got to go domino um mantra mantra do we have a mantra <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 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 yeah I'll, I'll award the mantra no problem no problem there um and and oh man yeah they keep up the energy and i, I suppose to throw in another palaver ten dollar phrase soundtrack dissidents and and, and and we've got annihilation at the end but we've got major chords and it's happy and you can dance. <laughs> Love it. So <laughs> this checks all the boxes, man. That is great. All right. So here's, here's a surprising note from our absent friend, Mr. Zotter. Throwing it all away. 
the capital T, capital H, capital E highlight of this era of Genesis. Wonderful song, oh. fantastic live, Mike Rutherford, dot, 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 awesome. Oh, wow. I, wow, that's, that's <laughs> bold. You guys are saying some bold statements here. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it, uh, it, it, it's funny because I love throwing it all away. Absolutely love it. For me, it, it it's got a it's it's got a you know a bunch of boxes on on my bingo card as well, um, with with the with the piano and great vocals and everything else. But I did not expect to hear this glowing review from Paul on this particular song. I mean, in some ways, and I don't want to diminish it, you know, it's it's almost like it's the the better version of In Too Deep, right? True, because into deep is pretty pretty one dimensional. I mean, you can you can you know they're for lack of a better phrase they're they're both sappy love songs. You can put them on the same shelf, right? Um, so uh, yeah, you know I I I'm I'm stunned with with Paul's um, with, with Paul's assessment here. So yeah, what do we do? The album starts off with a. Upbeat, then we go tonight, tonight, tonight. Then we, then we slow down. Then we speed up, land of confusion. Then we slow down in too deep. Then everything she does is, is speeds up again. And then, of course, Domino is great. Then we have to go, though, we have to go down again, throwing it all away. It's like if throwing it all away was just by itself, I might be okay with it. But it's just like we're, we're, we're just, there's no. Uh, th this album is just all over the place. I mean, I, it just can't get to one place. I mean, we're just going to the Phil Collins 80 place, and then we're going to some cool stuff, and then we go back and forth. It's just, I even though I might agree with you guys about this song, but at this point, I'm over it. I'm done. Like, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I, I, it, you can't keep going back. High gear, slow gear, high gear, slow gear. You got to have a pacing. And so I might agree with Paul, but I, I have to take the song out of the place it is and put it in a single somewhere and listen to it as a single. Because at this point, I mean, we just we just heard Domino. I mean, so how can I possibly like a song like this? Um, uh, so uh, it might be a little skewed and um, I might be biased, but there's this album uh, has way too many speeds and it, it just doesn't. Um, it doesn't have too many. It's got two. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's just a thing. Think, think, oh, well, like my, I have a bloody forehead from hitting my head. <laughs> I'm fucking over it. I'm passed out when it comes to throwing it all away. I'm passed out. I'm bleeding. I'm passed out in the back seat. I'm, I'm done. Wow. Jeez. I need to party with you like we used to. <laughs> all right. Well, see, I think. I think this tune is a, there are so many old Milwaukee beer jingles, but this is the best one written by Genesis. So I, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but or, or, or what I was thinking, maybe it's not everybody, maybe it's just me, but I swear 
they really wanted this just to, to sell beer. So let me see what I can do here. Someday when you're free, memories will remind you that all I was meant to be. But late at night when you call my name, the only sound you'll hear is the sound of your voice calling for cold Milwaukee beer. Yeah, so, so when I was a kid, I didn't know the name Old Milwaukee. I assumed it was cold Milwaukee because beer was always cold. And the guy at the ballpark said cold beer, right? He did. So, 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 uh, yeah. Um, the same way I thought that, that Washington crossed the Delaware to get to London. I thought, I thought, right. Because why? Because that's where the British were. Like, I thought you just crossed the Delaware and you were in England. Um, I thought that Milwaukee beer was was cold Milwaukee, and the people that said old Milwaukee just had bad diction because I've been obsessed with diction my whole life. So that <laughs> I, I I always heard a beer commercial in this in this stupid song. Wow! So we have Paul calling it the. Um, let me let me quote him properly here. The highlight of this era of Genesis and Ken the defender of invisible touch calling it a stupid song okay well i um, yeah the, the, the client changed attorneys midstream they're allowed to do it <laughs> <laughs> new counsel new counsel <laughs> i just you know i i i think if you're there i guess there there are two things i want to say about this one you know if you're going to have this type of, of ballot, I think this is, you know, I'm not going to say the, the perfect manifestation of it, but a an exceptionally good manifestation of it. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a hopeless romantic, so I, these things always, these always play well with me. And I appreciate that this one, I think, is done extraordinarily well. The other point that I'll make, just just to your point, Tom, and, and we've all seen this before as well, you know, it, it's very easy, especially, you know, in the, in, in the, the, the recent aftermath of No Jacket Required, to take all of this and say, oh, well, this is a Phil Collins song or, or something like that. Um, but all three of them have, have said, this was a group thing. Phil wasn't dragging us any way that we didn't want to go. And so, you know, I, I think it's a manifestation of Phil was, you know, Phil was developing his chops as a songwriter and bringing more to the table. And it, I, I think it manifested itself in, in what he was doing. But, you know, it, it, it's, I, I, I appreciate though, you know, some of these areas where the streams start to cross. And it can be a little difficult to tell, you know, certainly here, one from, from the other to a certain degree. Yeah, I was surprised to see that the this is built off of a Rutherford guitar line, and then he also wrote the lyrics to this. But it sounds so much to me like a Phil Collins song, so. Yeah, uh, you know, 
it's kind of follow you, follow me part two, right? Like it's a guitar thing that becomes a fill thing at the end of the album. Almost. It's not bad. I'm, they made a shitload of money off of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as ballads go, it's, I think Joe's just said it. It's, you know, really, really on target and easily, easily digestible. Mm-hmm. I, I'd rather hear that against all odds song than that. And then this song. Oh, oh wow. Wow. <laughs> that's, oh, oh man. That's I mean, a, what's that's so a, great about this song? That's I mean, a special it, episode right there. <laughs> all right well I, well I think the premise i mean just the chorus itself throwing it all the way the, the the title speaks volumes um and it 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 resonates with where phil's been for the past five six seven years right because you know we all know he you know had this huge divorce and whatnot and it i don't know i think it kind of kind of works with his voice and his personality and what we know about him. And so speaking as the, as the hopeless romantic who has his own issues, who will light up the darkness? Who will hold your hand? Who will find you the answer when you don't understand? Why should I have to be the one who has to convince you? Cause you know, I know baby that I don't want to go. I mean, it just, it, it, it's such a, yeah, is it is it sappy? Is it trite? Is it? But it's. I just think that's expressed so well, and it's like, you know, yeah. Oh, I just, I love it, absolutely love it. I mean, I mean, hand and understand. That's like one of the biggest cliches. I mean, God, that's like rhyming fire with desire. I uh, mean, Jesus Christ. I'll just say Tom. for the divorce, divorce song, it's not nearly cathartic enough, in my opinion. <laughs> it, there's not enough vitriol. <laughs> I I think uh, well and you know Phil's Phil's a couple years down the road there's more of a of a quiet acceptance at this point Uh. a more philosophical bent so even even though even though Mike apparently wrote it yeah so the Brazilian I had posed the question to the group um, a week ago do we like the Brazilian because I I wasn't sure. I think I, I think I do. I just didn't know what anyone else thought about it. And you know, Ken apparently wants the Brazilian to go on forever. Colby wants to make, um, you know, light of certain, you know, waxing techniques. <laughs> oh boy! I already did that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, what are your feelings on the Brazilian? You know, I I like the Brazilian. I, I think it's it's fun. Um, you know, it has staying power. It has substance, but there's you know there's there's some fun stuff in it. You know, it, I have to say, it might be though. Star Wars, what was it? The um, uh, episode six, where you're like, okay, this isn't great, but at least it's it's better. Oh, no, I'm sorry, episode three. Where you, you um, say to yourself, well, this, this isn't great, but it's, it's better than the, the first two, Attack of the Clones and whatever that first one is. So you're like, okay, I'm going to sit here and enjoy it because I know there's, we could go in a, in a, in a, in a worse direction. <laughs> um, so uh, when we're listening to the Brazilian, 
I'm so happy we're not into the sappy stuff and we're sort of uh, riding a nice mid-tempo beat and we're and we're ha I'm I'm having fun again and I'm so happy that I'm having fun um I don't really care how much I like it I just care that I'm enjoying it Okay Ken the defense <laughs> Wow I well this came two years after a, a, a huge hit by a, a Canadian artist who, who stormed America, and and I'll just I'll just. <laughs> I love that you invoked Brian Adams. <laughs> Not by choice. It just happened. Well, because it makes me feel somewhat less blasphemous when I invoke Duran Duran. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got the chauffeur all do that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Colby. <laughs> I'll shut up, please. You, in you invoke Duran Duran. Yeah, th there's... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you please. No, I was just going to I inevitably found myself comparing to this to instrumentals by Duran Duran, Arcadia, you know, that crew. Yeah. I just found it so lacking. There's, there's, <laughs> wait, wait. You're saying that the Brazilian is lacking compared to, say, Tiger, say Tiger, Tiger? Tiger, Tiger, or what is it? The Rose Arcana yeah. missing on the Arcadia album. Mm -hmm. I just, I feel sonically like, some of the samples almost seem like they're like they didn't put that much time into kind of putting it together. It just feels sort of like they threw it together and then just kind of said, Hey, let's just call it an album then. I, I, I'm so glad though, that I'm not the only one who picked up on the Duran Duran thing because, and I, I had to go and check the timeline. So seven and the ragged tiger came out a couple of years before this. So, you know, and, and that's what I was sort of alluding to at the top of this episode that, there were there were things going on in the music industry that were huge. And say what you want to about Duran Duran, and I made the joke. Uh, I think Ken and I were talking on on an episode the other night. I I, I made the joke at somewhere. I don't, it doesn't really matter where that you know Duran Duran were not you know musicians in in the strictest sense. They could only play the songs they wrote. Because that's the only thing that they knew how to play. That was it. And, you know, but at the same time, they were freaking huge. Monstrous. They were, sure. they were the darlings of MTV. And so, you know, I think, you know, this, this was all sort of, I guess this was what, post-punk at this point. And now we have, you know, all of this going on, the MTV thing. And I think the music industry was looking for ways to print money. And it it somehow percolated through all the artists. And so you have the Rushes, the Yeses, and the Genesis is doing things like this. And, and you know, I, I don't know. I just, it just, it struck me and I felt almost guilty because we have spent episodes, hours, literally, you know, probably tens of hours, 
we probably have 20 hours worth of, of recording on Genesis at this point already, talking about this extremely gifted set of musicians. And to, to say that they're aping Duran Duran, who were marginally passable musicians in the strictest sense, it, it feels dirty. But there it is, you know. When I, when I was listening to this, I was just like, this is so like something off Seven and the Ragged Tiger. It was just, I couldn't get away from it. Sometimes dirty feels good, Joe. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> so you, you agree, even though it feels dirty to say it, are you agreeing with the fact that you think this is sort of an inferior... No, I'm not. I, I, can't, I can't bring myself to say it's inferior. I can say that it is clearly influenced by Duran Duran, which even seems weird to say in and of itself. I'm not going to say that it's inferior, but it's okay. it's clearly influenced by, in my opinion. Yeah, far be it for me to critique, you know, a, a successful band like Genesis, even though I've been doing it all night long. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of the palaver, or podcast in general. Anybody can do this. It's perfect. The boys in Duran Duran had professional production and assistance so you know I, I don't know who was feeding you know nick his his keyboard samples and whatnot but uh, they didn't invent everything out of whole cloth let's put it that way all right, all right sweet i've got the one unpopular opinion here sweet yeah i think so you know you you you, you, you took the uh, you took the opinion and you pushed the envelope colby i like that my work here is done <laughs> <laughs> you know, overall, I think I think this album it, it, it was it was monstrous. It was huge. Um, 1987, you couldn't spit without without hitting Genesis or Peter Gabriel. It was it was everywhere. Um, I think we made the comment that somewhere in the middle of all of this, and say what you want to about that, um, GTRs when the heart ruled the mind, you know, showed up on the on the charts as well. So you had literally all parts of Genesis, you know, sort of in your face at this point. And that level of success certainly, I think, you know, can work against you in, in retrospect, you know, so many years down, down the line. But, you know, at the same time, while I, there are, like I said, I, I'm willing to admit everything that you guys have said against some of these songs here tonight. Um, I'm even willing to admit, you know, perhaps too much solo fill influence under certain circumstances. But I also say that I love this album. It's I don't love it quite as much as as the album that came before or the album that comes after. But I do. Uh, I do absolutely enjoy it. It's it's an important album. It's a very important album uh, within the history of the band. But it's also a very it's an important album in the eighties as well. So yeah. I mean, this is this is a big album for sure. It, it's certainly part of telling the story. That's great, Tom. I love this album, even if it gets me disbarred. <laughs> so now, I am not an attorney. I only play one on the progressive flavor. <laughs> And I'm, yes. And I'm full of shit. Trevor Horn had nothing to do with girls on film. He's just running around singing it like 
the kid that we are, he's, 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 he had nothing to do with the track. Okay. He, he, he just really digs it and he has a right to dig it. He does. Colby, any uh, closing thoughts before we uh, close this one out? I suppose not. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Well, guys, I... There, I, are, uh, are, there are enjoyable points on this album for me, but, you know, again, every time I come into one of the flavor discussions, I have to remind myself that progressive music is <laughs> not my back. Well, we, we certainly appreciate you you stepping out of perhaps your comfort zone and, and spending some time with us, Colby, because it, it is a pleasure. I'm glad you let me. Oh, absolutely. All right. So, gentlemen, I appreciate all of you uh, taking your time to discuss this album. And, I, you know, I think this was some lively conversation, which is, is really good for, for what we do. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I, I appreciate it. And I, I really enjoyed this. And I look very much forward to next episode when we, we take a, a step in perhaps a, a, a different direction. A little bit. Coil? Not coil. <laughs> <laughs>